1933, a group of well-financed businessmen, along with leaders from the American Legion, a well-regarded veterans organization, met to discuss a fascist overthrow of the United States government led by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Their aim was to raise an army of 500,000 veterans of the First World War to march on Washington, D.C., seize control of the machinery of government, and install a new power that would keep Roosevelt on as a fascist puppet. If it seems far-fetched that a group of veterans would march against their government with potentially violent ends, well, it had happened not too long ago. In 1932, somewhere between 15 and 30,000 veterans camped out on the Mall in Washington, D.C., demanding the bonuses they had been promised from World War I. It was the middle of the Depression. These people had been out of work for ages. They were starving. Their families were going destitute, and they wanted action. One of the supporters of this bonus army was a Marine Corps general by the name of Smedley Butler. Fantastic name. Even more impressive man. Smedley Butler received 16 medals, five of them for heroism, including receiving the Medal of Honor twice, one of only 19 men in American history to do so. Butler was a lifelong Republican, but grew disillusioned with the party after Herbert Hoover ordered the United States military to dismantle the Bonus Army, sending in a tank division under the command of Douglas MacArthur to chase these veterans out of their little tent city to burn their belongings and to send them packing. It was Butler that the business plot leaders hoped would lead them to victory over the Roosevelt administration. The business plot leaders must not have been paying very close attention to Smedley Butler. The man had gone on record multiple times saying how disillusioned he was with capitalism, how supportive he was of Franklin Roosevelt. They picked exactly the wrong guy to front this coup later. When the House Committee on Un-American Activities, led by Congressman Samuel Dick Stein, Democrat from the great state of New York, investigated this, Butler was their chief witness. They found no direct evidence, but in their final report, they made reference to a fascist organization led by a gentleman by the name of Gerald C. McGuire that was ready to take steps to overthrow the United States government. This was huge. A congressional committee put out a report that business interests in the United States of America, including J.P. Morgan, Goodyear Tire, DuPont, gathered together by a secretive Gerald McGuire, were plotting to make Nazi America led by dictator Smedley Butler. Except they weren't. McGuire was a $75 a week Wall Street working stiff bond salesman. Did he want a fascist America? Maybe. He might have even talked to Butler about it. But involving the largest corporations in the world, there was no evidence of that. The New York Times, the Washington Post, every serious news organization in America dug into this story, but they couldn't find anything that made Smedley Butler's ravings about evil capitalist conspiracies any more true. Sometimes, a wild conspiracy theory is just a wild conspiracy theory. Then again... Congressman Dickstein seemed so sure that these fascists were plotting. This report was worded so strongly. The testimony that happened before the House Un-American Activities Committee was so vociferous. There had to be something there, right? And there was. You see, unknown to the American people and not known to anyone until the, well, end of the Cold War, Samuel Dickstein was a paid Russian agent 
spreading disinformation in an effort to affect the American political system. This is the show. From Russia with love. Welcome to Republican in Exile, a half-hour exercise in self-torture where I, your verbally voluminous and vicariously vicious host, attempts to orally catalog my own slow-motion nervous breakdown like an NPR reporter live broadcasting a drunk Kanye West who's just broken onto the set of Fox News Sunday and is attempting to strangle Sean Hannity to death with his own tie. I'm Matthew Hedge, and this week we're going to be going over a wide range of events that have left me oh so frustrated (laughs) and caused me to drink heavily. Speaking of which, this week I'm having a shot of vodka and a tall glass of Omegang's Bend the Knee Golden Ale. It's a special beer they've come out with to celebrate the return of Game of Thrones, a completely fictional series in which a bunch of incompetents and individuals that are way too into their own family attempt to run a whole country and end up running it into the ground with fire and ice zombies and... Ravens. It's great. Much better than here. Oh god, I'm so jealous of them. That's a bad sign. We should move on. The song you are valiantly attempting to ignore in the background of me speaking is From Russia With Love, sung by English singer Matt Ronroe and written for the same-named film in the James Bond franchise. Probably the best of the classic James Bond films. Not necessarily my favorite, mind you but probably the best. If this is your first time listening, I was once a loyal member of the Republican Party, and then Donald Trump got elected president, and I decided that, (laughs) it's just not worth it anymore. It's not. It's not, Paul Ryan. Listen to me when I'm talking to you. It's not! (sighs) Every week, I go through a rundown of this week's horrors, things that I absolutely hated, this week's outrage, the thing I hated the most, and then try and leave you off with some good news, and a little bit of a prediction that'll help you look smart next week. The song's coming to an end, which means I actually have to talk about things. Or, or we could just stay here, talk about James Bond. I love those movies. Damn it. Well, I guess this means we now need to discuss this week's horrors. Donald Trump met with Vladimir Putin. Next item! Isn't that enough? Do we actually need to talk about this? No, I kid, I kid. We actually have to talk about this thing because it was painful, physically painful for anyone who paid attention even a teeny tiny bit. This meeting seemed to be Donald Trump's effort to start a little bromance a la Justin Trudeau and Macron from Canada and France, except instead of all of the leaders involved having rippling abs, everyone is sort of doughy and kleptocratic. President Trump negotiated a no-fly zone in Syria along with President Putin. Additionally, the president negotiated creating a cybersecurity unit with the Russians to try and figure out how to stop all this terrible hacking that Russia is absolutely not involved in. Asking Russia to partner on a cybersecurity division is a bit like going to see a movie directed by M. Night Shyamalan. You know the twist is coming, and... Quite frankly, it is exactly what you think it's going to be. President Trump, of course, tweeted out a defense for this. I needed that. Saying, and I quote, 
Putin and I discussed forming an impenetrable cybersecurity unit so that election hacking and many other negative things will be guarded and safe. Questions were asked about why the CIA and FBI had to ask the DNC 13 times for their server, server in all caps, and were rejected. Still don't have it. Fake news, said 17 intel agencies, went actually for and had to apologize. Why did Obama do nothing when he had info before the election? Good God. If Donald Trump Jr. did not exist, this would have been the outrage of the week. I'm sorry to spoil for that for you in advance, but <laughs> Jr. is going to take the cake this week. Let's do this point by point, shall we? Number one, Putin discussed forming an impenetrable cybersecurity unit, or rather, Putin discussed having Trump let the Russians closely examine America's electric infrastructure from the inside to make them better at hacking into it. That's obvious to you, me, children in the womb. There's a number of whales in the deep sea that also figured out this was going on. It is apparent to every mammal on the planet. There are still some lizards and fish that haven't figured it out, but I'm sure we can educate them in time for the next election. Two... The sentence, so that election hacking and many other negative things will be guarded and safe, implies that you're guarding and keeping safe the election hacking, which might be the most honest thing you've written in a long time, buddy. Number three, Putin asked you why the DNC didn't turn over their server after the hack to the CIA and FBI? That sets off all sorts of red flags because it's pretty obvious to me that Putin has people inside the FBI and CIA now because that's the only reason he'd be interested at all. It's like asking when your mail is coming. Uh, are, you, are you sure you haven't delivered that yet to the place where I can get at it? Of course, it's just as likely that you're making all of this up because you're a crazy person. It should also be noted that the CIA and FBI have denied asking for that server. John Brennan going this week and publicly saying the CIA never asked for a server. So, unsure where you're getting that information, except, you know, Hannity. Finally, there's the last statement. And here, finally, Donald Trump gets to a kernel of truth. There were reports that 17 intelligence agencies had said that Russia was behind the hack. The 17 agencies of the American intelligence community. Turns out, only four agencies actually said that there was hacking. The news media did apologize. But let's, let's take a look at that for a second. All right, the four agencies that said that Russia was involved in a scheme to affect the American election involving hacking and disinformation and propaganda and manipulation of the American public were the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and the D-O-N-I, the Director of the Office of National Intelligence, which oversees 17 intelligence agencies. So yeah, it was just those four. Just the FBI, CIA, NSA, and the organization that collects information from the entire intelligence community. Donald Trump was right. The other intelligence agencies did not say anything about possible election hacking. For instance, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which specializes in map services, they didn't say anything about Russian hacking. Coast Guard Intelligence? Not involved at all. The Department of Treasury's Office of Intelligence and Analysis didn't say anything about Russia. Heck, the Drug Enforcement Administration's Office of Security Intelligence? 
they were amazingly silent. I bet all of those agencies who obviously have intelligence assets dealing with the Russia situation were deliberately silent about this issue. Or, you know, they're not involved at all. All of the agencies that would be involved in collecting information about Russia say that Russia was involved in the deliberate manipulation of our electoral system. Did they change vote tallies? No, they didn't need to. They changed us. They changed the system. They manipulated events to work in their favor, potentially with the collusion of an American presidential campaign, claiming that the media has screwed up because the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency didn't come after you is like being arrested for serial murder and going, well, the IRS isn't after me. It's a non sequitur at best and willfully misleading people at worst. And let's be frank, this administration has always been and will always be America at her worst. Speaking of willfully misleading, the Russian government announced that Putin had assured President Trump that they weren't involved in these hacks, and that Trump had accepted that assertion, which is a bit like accepting the assertions of a child when they say they didn't eat all of the cookies out of the cookie jar when their face is covered in sticky, sticky chocolate. Here's a point in favor of the private sector. If America was a corporation, Donald Trump would have been fired by now by America's board of directors. As it is, since America is a democracy, God bless her, we can't get rid of this sucker, well... For quite some time. Later at the G20 summit, President Trump was feeling a little bit low energy, so he decided he needed to step away from an important leaders' briefing session, and he had his daughter, who legally can't actually work in the White House, sit in for him at that meeting. It's not so much nepotism as it is mafia style keep your family close. Donald Trump only trusts blood relatives because he assumes only blood relatives won't eventually turn state's evidence against him. This is maddening. It's insane. No other president in American history would have dreamed of doing this or leaning on their children as a crutch. When George Herbert Walker Bush was president, his sons, Jeb and George W., were pretty heavily involved in the campaign. You know what they weren't involved in? The actual governing of the country. That was a line that was too thick to cross. Mm. Isn't it nice to have a government once upon a time? Yeah, that was good. Well, the time and the clock tells me that we're about to take a big old break for a word from our sponsors. So uh, we'll be back in a moment. Our sponsor this week is screaming loudly into a pillow when no one's around and then weeping yourself to sleep. Trust me. It's better than the other options. Well, ladies, gentlemen, and assorted others, that brings us to this week's outrage. And as I've already put the cat out of the bag, there is no need to hide the fact that it is Donald Trump Jr. and the incredible evolving story. Way back in March, Donald Trump Jr. insisted to the press that he had no meetings with any Russian nationals involving information related to the campaign. Then... On Saturday of this week, he claimed that, oh, jeez, I forgot, I did have a meeting with a Russian national, but it was about adoption. You see, several years ago, the Russian government put a ban on Americans adopting babies from Russia. This was seen as a direct attack on the United States of America, sort of an insult to the Obama administration. Donald Trump Jr. wanted to get rid of that. Very, very understandable. 
And then on Sunday, he went back and said, oh, that thing I said on Saturday, that was a untruth, a non-correct thing that normal people would call a lie. No, no, the meeting was instead about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. He then tweeted out a series of emails proving that fact in one of the most stunningly stupid things I've seen in years. And I once saw a man try and cross 6th Avenue on a skateboard with all of the cars coming while texting. He got hit by a car. It wasn't bad. He got back up again a couple seconds later. But that was still much smarter than what Donald Trump Jr. did. I think the New York Post put it best. In an editorial the day after all of this came out, the New York Post wrote a headline, Donald Trump Jr. is an idiot. And quite frankly, that is the most charitable interpretation of Donald Trump Jr. on the face of the earth. Last week, I said that Donald Trump Jr. was somehow the dumber of the adult Trump boys. And I'm going to stick by that forever. Eric is by far the smarter one. If you don't know the difference between Donald and Eric, I'll give you a, a helpful hint. Eric is the one that looks like an enormous fetus that wandered into a Brooks Brothers store. And Donald Trump Jr. is the one that looks like the gardener's son. Maybe the pool boy's son. Doesn't look anything like the rest of his family. The Trump administration is trying to make this out like it's no big deal because nothing came of it. After all, everyone always believes that when someone goes specifically to commit a felonious activity that nothing came of it. After all, how many times have... Women in America heard, yes, honey, I did go to that hotel room with my secretary, and yes, I did just send you an email proving that she wanted to have sex with me and I wanted to have sex with her. And yes, we were there overnight, but golly, nothing happened. If you need me to spell it out for you in more direct terms, Donald Trump Jr., like that 1960s-era stereotypical secretary in my little story, is fucked. You see, in this country, we don't just punish people for committing crimes. We punish people for attempting to commit crimes. You know, attempted murder, conspiracy to commit fraud. These are things that we do on a regular basis. And while, to give the Simpsons quote, we don't give a Nobel Prize for attempted chemistry, we certainly punish people for trying to collude with a foreign government to undermine the foundations of our political system. Tough luck, Donnie. But that's not actually the outrage of the week. No, the outrage of the week is the way that the right has been responding to this. And I know I'm going heavy on the right this week, but quite frankly, they deserve it. Eric Erickson, a writer for the resurgent former commentator for CNN, released an article with the following headline. If this former Soviet spy met with Donald Trump Jr., It was probably set up by Democrats. That's right. This whole time, we've been chasing the wrong story. You see, Donald Trump Jr., when he met with that Russian lawyer and that former Russian GRU agent, that was set up by the Democratic Party to make Donald Trump Jr. and his father look bad. A brilliant scheme that somehow they forgot to talk about before the election. See, the Democrats knew this was going to happen, and they waited until after Hillary Clinton lost to slowly leak that information through Donald Trump Jr., who is the one that released it to the press. The right-wing media has lost its mind. The right-wing blogosphere, something that I used to scroll through every once in a while, 
has gone nuts. They can't even admit basic information. If tomorrow Donald Trump was videotaped savagely beating someone to death, there would be an article up on Breitbart or The Resurgent or The Federalist about how he was set up to do that or how Donald Trump was defending freedom by doing that or how do we really know that's Donald Trump? Even if Donald Trump later came out and said, no, that was me, I beat that man to death, they would rationalize that. Our politics have become so tribalized that it's impossible to admit any kind of mistake and it's somewhat understandable, sadly. The one thing nobody likes is to be told that they're wrong, or that anything they've done is wrong. We've developed a culture where everybody needs to be mollycoddled. Everybody wants their own safe space. Everybody wants to be told they're good, and everybody who doesn't like them is bad. And any information that negatively impacts their self-image must be a perfidious lie spread by the opposition. That's not how reality works. That's not how existence works. And hopefully, all of this is going to come crashing down. And, uh, oh no, I don't see any of this ending well. Even if it comes crashing down. We're screwed. Yeah, wholesale screwed. It's just, it's just all bad. Ah, speaking of bad, let's move on to good news this week. That's right. There is good news in the world. The first bit is that the Iraqi army has retaken the city of Mosul. What times we live in that I am thrilled by that sentence. The Iraqi army has taken Mosul. It's not that long ago that the Iraqi army taking Mosul would have been horrifying loss during the early stages of the Iraq invasion. But no, this is instead of being a big loss for America, a big loss for ISIS. The loss of Mosul puts ISIS in a very bad position. It's actually going to put a lot of pressure on Russia Since ISIS is now on the run on a number of fronts, there's going to be enormous pressure for them to stop bombing resistance to the Syrian government and instead focus on destroying the apocalyptic cult that al-Baghdadi created out there. ISIS is an awful organization that does awful things and should probably be wiped off the face of the earth as quickly as humanly possible. Don't know if we'll get that, but we can cross our fingers, I guess. The other major bit of good news also comes out of the Middle East, and this one's good not only because of what it does, but because of the way it does it. Pakistan's Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif is in a bit of hot water after the Panama Papers, those leaks involving offshore companies headquartered in Panama, showing a little bit of corruption, managed to show that Prime Minister Sharif owned quite a bit of high-end property in London. Opposition parties were complaining that You know, where did the money come from? Why did you buy this? Why didn't you disclose this publicly? At the center of this is the Prime Minister's daughter, Mariam Nawaz Sharif. Since she is the trustee of these offshore accounts, she's the one that really had to declare this information. And she did come forward with a document proving that in 2006, she did publicly declare that she was a trustee in these organizations. Nothing illegal occurred. It was all publicly declared. Everything's great. Except the document she produced was written in the Calibri font, a font that didn't exist until 2007 and is now default on Microsoft Office. If those documents were produced in 2006, there's no way in hell they were written in Calibri font. The name the Pakistani media has given to this event is Fontgate. That's right. 
Microsoft Office might bring down the prime minister of a major country. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. Which brings us to a way to look smart this week. This week, I'm going to be You've got mail. Hold on a second. Holy crap, someone sent me a message. Forget about looking smart. I'm going to answer a question. Aw, this one comes from non-blood relative Jenna. Hey, Jenna. Jenna asks, I haven't had a lot of time in the past six months to stay on top of politics in the midst of sleep deprivation. Jenna and her husband Joe just squeezed out a baby. Although Joe wasn't really involved. I mean, he was involved, but not with the squeezing. Uh, Skipping ahead. Uh... What I'm confused about is what was specifically done by Russia that I should be upset about. It seems like a lot of people had shady meetings, the DNC was hacked, and Mike Pence has no idea what's going on. Basically, I would love if you would explain exactly what happened with Russia and how it could get Trump impeached. I'm sure you have lots of ideas for your show, but I would love to hear from you on this. Well, Jenna and the rest of the listening audience, I'm going to give you the short, short version. Here's what Russia is actually accused of doing. Before we start, it's very important to note, Russia is not accused of changing any vote tallies or changing anyone's vote directly. Once again, they didn't need to do that. Since America is a democracy, changing public perception was enough. Here we go. Number one, they hacked the emails of individuals directly related to the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and then released those emails through the odious organization that is WikiLeaks. Those leaks were timed specifically to attempt to impact the presidential election. The release of John Podesta's emails, emails that were specifically highlighted by WikiLeaks, were enough to change public perception during that election. Had Russia not hacked those emails and WikiLeaks not released them, it's entirely possible the election would have gone in a different direction. Additionally, While the Russians apparently also collected some incidental data on Republican targets, they did not release that information in the same kind of targeted effort to affect the American election. Number three, they engaged in what, God help us, is being referred to as the meme war. Hashtag fake news. Just like the business plot back in the day, it's about manipulating our systems. All you have to do is get people terrified of a fascist overthrow of America, and they won't notice the communist menace on their doorstep. An army of Russia-run Twitter bots promoted fake stories that got onto trending topics on both Twitter and Facebook and disseminated false information about Hillary Clinton both during the primary to help Bernie Sanders and during the general to help Donald Trump. Assuming Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, these same Twitter bots and Facebook accounts promoted stories about damage to America's electoral integrity, including the trending hashtag DemocracyRIP, which can be directly tied back to these same anonymous Twitter bots. Russian state media, meanwhile, dug into Hillary Clinton's background and released formal-seeming news stories which damaged her efforts. They did not do that for Donald Trump at all. On the contrary, they were fairly glowing in their coverage of Donald Trump. And this wasn't just Russia Today or Sputnik, the official Russian government sites. No, this was associated media like The Intercept, a website run by Glenn Greenwald, which broke the Snowden story. Ever notice how Edward Snowden ended up in Russia? Yeah, everyone else did too. Most importantly, and this relates directly to the Donald Trump Jr. story, the day after Donald Trump Jr. met with these individuals 
who had supposed ties to the Russian government about damaging information about Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump went out and in a very famous statement asked Russia to hack Hillary Clinton's emails. Oh, maybe you can find those 30,000 emails Hillary Clinton actually deleted. <laughs> if it can be proven that the Trump campaign and Donald Trump in specific were coordinating their campaign effort with the Russian government, with the release of those emails, with the misinformation campaigns, with the fake news, with the Twitter army and trending topics, if there's any evidence of collusion between those two sources, they could be used as grounds for impeachment, as those probably would fall under the high crimes and misdemeanors label necessary. But I'll tell you what I think the real threat to Trump's presidency is. The impeachment process is very, very complicated, and, well, frankly, I don't have enough time here to go over it. But I'll tell you what. How about this? In August, and I'm making this announcement right now, I'm going to do a special episode on presidential impeachment. Why? Well, because I want to. And that's pretty much all this is based on right now. So, look forward to that early August impeachment special. We'll talk it all through. Thanks for the letter, Jenna. Oh, and that brings us to the end of our program for this week. A special thanks to my producer, Jonathan, and to ACAST. Remember, ACAST for all your podcasting needs. ACAST, making good stories great. Hey, have you ever wanted to hear me talk about something that doesn't make me want to die? I'm guesting this week on another podcast. Hailing frequencies. Remember Star Trek The Next Generation? Well, my good friend Harry has never seen an episode and has been... Well, muddling his way through the first season. You want to hear me talk about transporters and aliens and, well, once again, something that's not awful? Hop over to Hailing Frequencies, available where fine podcasts are podcasted. If you would like to contact us, we are R.I.E. Podcast on Gmail, R.I.E. Podcast on Twitter, and, of course, Republican in Exile on Facebook. Be like Jenna. Jenna's the best. Just had a very adorable baby. You haven't had a baby recently. Except for those of you who have. Be more like Jenna. Send me your comments, questions, concerns, queries. I will respond to your insanity with insanity of my own. Until next week, this has been Republican in Exile. Uh, try not to die. From Russia with love.